0: Welcome everyone to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now here's the show. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, the weekly talk show that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. I'm your host, Rob Weatherly. Got a good show for you this time around. I uh, got a couple different things we're going to do on this show. We're going to start off with some information about Magna 19, which was just concluded this past weekend at the time of this recording, and we're also going to take a couple minutes and answer a few questions that have come in over the voicemail line over the past few weeks. Uh, not a lot, just two, uh, and then another question that I'm going to pull together just out of uh, some recent things I've seen out of the forums. So that being said. Let's move right into our first topic, which is on MACNA-19. Many of you may remember back uh, about a year ago, actually, a a little over a year ago, uh, we did a show on MACNA-18. This was a conference that was held in Houston. for those of you that don't recall that show or don't know what MACNA is, MACNA stands for the Marine Aquarium Conference of North America, and it's one of the largest marine aquarium conferences held uh, anywhere. It's a, a very, very cool event, um, obviously from the fact that it's 19, it's been held for 19 years, uh, and the 20th, uh, MACNA 20, is getting ready to come up in, uh, next year in September, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But for those of you that haven't been to a MACNA, um, it's it's absolutely amazing, and this was actually my first one, so I really, really wanted to take a few minutes and, and share some personal experience with you. Now, just for, for those of you that don't know, Magna 19 was held in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is a pretty cool city. I've never been there before. Um, talk about hills. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I come from, from Michigan, as you all know, so it's a pretty flat state, and going over to Pittsburgh, it was uh, definitely interesting. Um, but uh, that aside... The conference was, uh, for lack of better terms, truly amazing. The folks and from PMAS did a a great job. As you know, the Pittsburgh Club that put that on, they did just an amazing job. It, everything went great. There was there was no visible flaws anywhere. So, even if they had flaws, they did an amazing job covering them up. Uh, everything was just wonderful. Uh, first of all, the big thing with the conferences is is the talks. There's a lot of presenters, basically two full days of, of presentations and talks. There's Friday, there's usually a half day of talks, and then Saturday, there's a full day, and then on Sunday, there's a, another probably about a half day. Uh, a lot of different talks, a lot of different things to talk about, um, too many for me to actually go through at this point, um, but there is, you know, like I said, a full day, many, many different speakers on many different subjects, so definitely something worth uh, worth checking out. Um, another one of the really cool things was the vendors there. Uh, y- you go into this expo floor, and there is literally just you know hundreds of booths, many many different organizations, clubs, and uh, commercial vendors for you to check out their new products and, and the current products that they have. And it, it's really something that's cool. A lot of them are very generous, giving out free samples of their products as for promotions, uh, giving away T-shirts and flyers and stuff like that. It's it's really really something cool. You know, you can go around and, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, and I was one of them going around trying to see what kind of free stuff we can swipe up. And while the shirts and stuff like that are cool, and, you know, I loved getting them, and I hope there's more next year, it's really cool uh, that a lot of the companies are giving away uh, free samples. Um, There are, you know, for example, there's like fish food companies, you know, companies that produce various types of fish food and Coral food and, and stuff like that, uh, they're giving away free samples. And this is, I think this is really cool because there's a lot of times when I want to try something, but don't necessarily want to spend $5, 10 $15 on a large container just to to try it. Uh, so it, you know, it's something for the vendors. It's really cool that they do that. And uh, hopefully more uh, do that in the future because there's a couple vendors that I went by and they are selling or looking to sell some stuff. And it's like, Well, you know, I'd I'd like to try it out. I don't necessarily want to buy it just yet. So um, a word to all you future vendors, if you're not already doing samples, make sure you do. It's a really good sales tactic. I know I'm going to be making a few orders uh, of some products that I tried. Uh, So uh, definitely very cool. That's the vendors. Now, that aside, the coolest thing that I found was simply meeting up with all of your fellow reefers. It's it's really cool to actually put names to the faces. A lot of us sit in this virtual world where we're working with people online. I mean, you're sitting back there looking at me, you know, looking at the this podcast or listening to this podcast, and, uh, you know, you've never actually had a chance to see or meet me, uh, you know, video shows aside. Uh, but I did get a chance to actually meet a lot of the listeners and, uh, hung out with a lot of people at the banquets and the dinners and stuff like that, and went out to dinner with some people. And it was really just, it was a really cool, uh, thing. Um, you know, there's, there wasn't a, you know, uh, every single person was nice. I mean, every, every, everybody was great. It was just really fun to be around. So, um, I'm going to move on from this topic cause uh, I don't want to drag it out too long, but, uh, just absolutely amazing meeting up with everybody. Uh, the banquets, which uh, usually happen on Saturday night, uh, absolutely amazing. Um, you know, again, Pittsburgh did a great job. They had a great keynote speaker, Jerry Allen, a great presentation that he put on. One of the funniest things I've seen in a while. Um, I hope that they have uh, some place or they release that in some manner where we can rewatch that. Cause it was just great. For those of you that were there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And for those of you that don't or that weren't there, well. Make sure you attend next year so you're not left out. <laughs> so, um, now one of the things that I wanted to mention about Macna before before I close out this topic is I had kind of went in with the preconception that uh, it's about the talks and you're going to go in in the morning and you're going to want to get through a lot of the talks and that's kind of what you're supposed to do there. And uh, it was a pleasant surprise to see that it was that's not what it's about. Um, it's about a lot more than that. And you really are free to come and go from the talks as you as you see fit uh, to go to the talks that are relevant to you and to you know skip the ones that aren't relevant to you. Uh, I mean definitely you're encouraged to go to them even if they you may not think they are, but if they're kind of relevant, you might still want to go uh, the The main point that I want to get at is it was uh, it was very comforting and very uh, it was a very accepting environment to know that you know even though I wasn't sitting through all of the talks um that i really wasn't missing out on a lot of things so um it's a uh, you know just if i could wrap it up in in a few words you you're really free to move around as you see fit and i, I that was very something very good that i found now moving on real quick uh, just to mention uh for everybody that did miss out on on this year's uh MACNA conference you, this is your time make sure you uh you you check out for Magna 20 next year MACNA 20 is going to be in uh, beautiful Atlanta, Georgia, the conference is actually going to be at uh, the Westin Peachtree right in downtown Atlanta, beautiful hotel. Uh, I think uh, from what I heard, it's uh, like the tallest hotel in America or North America or something like that. Just it's absolutely amazing. Uh, and the uh, the banquet on Saturday night is actually going to be held in the Georgia Aquarium, which, uh, again, really awesome. Now, one of the main reasons that I bring up Magna 20 uh, for next year uh, and uh you know all the exciting things that are going on is that if you register now uh, you get in on the early bird special and you're gonna save a lot of money if you order your tickets uh, ahead of time uh, in fact right now the the tickets are about fifty percent off I think they're actually fifty percent off uh, right now but that only lasts until the end of september so make sure that you as soon as you hear this if you're interested make your make your plans and and get ready to start preparing for it uh it, it preparing for travel and whatever and and head over to the macna website which for this this conference it's macnaxx for macnaxx macna20 uh macnaxx.com so head over check it out get through your pre-registration uh and get ready for next year talking reef is going to be there uh we are going to have booths set up next year uh, we're already committed to that um, and uh, a lot of other really cool stuff that we're going to be doing there that I can't talk about just yet. But uh, we are going to be setting up some partnerships with other groups, and it's going to be a really cool show. So uh, make sure that you head over right now and uh, sign up for that. You will be hearing more about Magna 20 throughout the year uh, from me and from some guests that we've got uh, that will probably be on. So definitely stay tuned for that. Okay, well, moving on, uh, I want to take a couple minutes and start going through some questions and answers that have come through. Uh, it's been a while since we've really got through some of the shows, so I wanted to kind of ramp up with uh, with this. And we've got some more uh, cool shows coming in the future, so you can hopefully expect to see a lot more shows coming out. Uh, I'm going to try to get back on, on a weekly schedule, although it might not stay 100% consistent. So just the warning now, but uh, let's not worry about that. Let's move into some of these questions. The first question that we got here is coming from Pam, Uh, and so instead of explaining it, I'm going to go ahead and let her ask her question.
1: Hey, Rob. My name is Pam. I'm calling from New Hampshire. I'm setting up my first reef tank. Um, You have uh, answered a couple of my threads on your website, um, thetalkandreaf.com, and I have been listening to your podcast over the last maybe two weeks. I've gotten to about half of them. I have long commute to work, so I get to listen to one on the way to work and one on the way home. But anyway, my question was about um, mixing corals. I was under the impression that you really should stick to one kind. So I guess I took that to mean, you know, all all LPS or all um, SPS or or um, soft corals. And um, I'm just guess I, I'm confused about if. You can mix them or not, because I heard some people have mixed reefs, um, or if it's better off to stick to just one kind. Anyway, you have a great show. I've learned a ton, a ton from it, um, and looking forward to your next one. All
0: Take right, care. thank you very much for that question. Now, here's here's where we're going to start. The first thing I'm going to do is reference you to podcast episode 25, which is an introduction to stony coral. Uh, one of the first things that uh, that are going to be talked about in that show is the fact that there's not really uh, a clear delineation between the hobbyist terms of LPS and SPS. So using those terms alone uh, as a categorization as to what you keep in your tank is not going to help you any. Uh, So the first thing you want to remember is is really the the only classification terms that we can use are soft coral uh, and the stony corals, which would include the hobbyist terms of SPS and LPS both. Now, that being said, once we got that cleared up, Uh, To answer your question a little bit more directly, um, yes, you most definitely can mix these types of corals. However, um, that statement has some caveats. You really need to uh, know what type of corals you have. There are uh, various different types of coral that really can't be mixed in the same tank. I mean, there's not a lot of them that I know of, um, but there are some that you really don't want to mix in the same tank. For example, uh, one of the items that is is mentioned in episode 25 is a a very common problem that people run into, and that's with mixing leather corals and uh, various types of Acropora or Acropora corals. Now, what'll happen is uh, you'll get this certain type of chemical warfare that goes on, and whichever one is the more dominant in the tank, if you've got more soft corals or more Acropora, then you can run into some problems with these, and, and the more dominant one will have a tendency to to beat out the other one via chemical warfare. Now, this isn't something that always happens, and usually has a tendency to happen when they're in close proximity to each other or when they are in a, quote-unquote, uh, you know, downstream from one, you know, from one or the other, uh, allowing those, those chemicals to actually, you know, go directly from one to the other. Now, that being said, uh, many people do keep these corals in the same tank. In fact, I do, uh, not a lot. I do have some small toadstool leathers in my tank, but they're usually kept in the bottom, and they're not what you would consider as downstream or upstream from, you know, however you want to put it. Uh, they're not really interfering with other corals in any other way. So the only other thing that you want to keep in mind, like I mentioned, is proximity from one to the other. There's also problems with other types of soft corals like button polyps or zoanthids that um, if if they grow out of control or come in proximity or physical Range of a, of a various types of corals, whether they're stony coral or other soft coral, they can inflict serious damage on them. So, really, what you want to look at here is the type of coral, or the actual the actual type of coral, the specimen that you're you're dealing with, and not so much the generic classification. To say that soft coral and stony coral can't go in a tank together isn't inaccurate isn't accurate in any sense of the term or in any sense of the phrase. It's just you can't do it like that. Uh, You really need to look at what type of core you're dealing with, and then uh, you can take that and compare it to what else you have, and that will help bring you to the determination of whether you can keep them, and if you can, where and how you need to place them in the tank. Um, I'm sorry if I overcomplicated it. It's really not that complicated. The simple answer is yes, you can absolutely mix stuff, so you just got to do it the right way, and uh, if you have more specific questions, especially after listening to Episode 25, uh, feel free to post at TalkingReef.com or... Uh, you can send me another question, and uh, I'll do my best to answer it. All right. Well, let's move on to our next question that we got.
2: Hey, Rob. Uh, this is Joe from Florida. I was calling. Um, first off, I wanted to say absolutely love the podcast. It's been a, a great help in my endeavor into the reef hobby. Um, I've turned two very good friends of mine that are also in the hobby all of us of which are at different levels and doing different types of tanks from what we've been typically used to in the past. And we've gotten all kinds of great details from you and the podcast and all of the members that uh, help you out. Um, I got two questions. The question, uh, which is fairly simple, is I had heard on a previous podcast, you had mentioned about receiving some live rock, um, and you were a little suspicious of it and didn't want to take the chance of, you know, getting anything in the tank. So you talked about, I believe you did specifically talk about bleaching, although I'm not a hundred percent positive on that one. I know you definitely talked about baking it. Um, so to try to make a, a long story short, I am starting up a 24 gallon, uh, aquapod nano reef tank and in in trying to cut costs and I'm acquiring rock from some different places. And one of the places that I have acquired some rock from was an ironic situation that occurred. We had a person that lived in a very close city to us, uh, post in one of the online forums about having some stuff for sale. And after further inquiring about that, um, we actually ended up at a person's house who had been what seemed to be a pretty big person in the aquaculturing of frags market. Um, later we found out after seeing photos and signed books by Steve Tyree and uh, Walt Smith and Julian Sprung and just et cetera, et cetera, that this guy was pretty big. He got hit by Hurricane Charlie down in Florida and lost everything and pretty much that sent him out of the hobby and the business that he had started. So I bought a bunch of base rock from this gentleman. And the base rock had been sitting for several years outside in the weather. Um, The base rock is really, really nice-looking stuff. Most of everything I can tell that he ordered from, with info he gave me, came directly from Walt Smith. Um, A lot of great pieces, sizes, shapes, caves, holes, et cetera. Um, And needless to say, I bought quite a bit of this to start uh, the tank with. Um, So before, of course, I do anything with it, I'm in the process of doing some prep on it. Um, That started with the good old Rubbermaid tank and saltwater mixture with a MaxiJet 1200 in it, a heater, and uh, just to try to start circling it with some saltwater. Some of the pieces of rock had what looked like, from being out in the elements, almost like a black to green colored mold um, that just came from being in the elements. I was very concerned about this, and after the two weeks of being in the salt water, I really didn't see any change. It did soften up a little bit, and I was able to partially scrub some of it off, but a lot of it just didn't seem like it wanted to move. So I made the decision to use, if I was going to use any of that type of rock, that I was going to have to do something to try to prevent anything bad from entering the tank so I started by bleaching the rock Uh, it was really a short bleach process it didn't take very long for this stuff to come off and the rock underneath was just absolutely gorgeous Um, I proceeded also to bake it based on you know some of the information I'd heard you talk about and I have the benefit of working at a bakery so I have access to this great equipment to do all this with now that I'm finished with that my question is this if I was to take rock that i was not comfortable putting in my tank as it was and i decided to bleach the rock and then bake the rock off what is the following procedure that i need to do to ensure that the rock is ready so that's the question if you could help me out and the rest of the talking reef crew i'd really appreciate it um and everything else you know, has been going great based on all the information I've received from everybody here. So
0: okay, far. I'm going to go ahead and jump in here real quick. There are, there's more to the voicemail, and there's a few more questions that he's going to follow up with. But uh, just to kind of answer this one first, uh, here here's the deal, and here's what I did with mine. It sounds like the problem that I had with mine was very similar similar to the problem that you had with yours. That black and green mold-looking stuff, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's actually the same stuff that was on my rock. Uh, which had been sitting outside for a long period of time. I don't know if it's something specific to this type of rock or if it's just a, a generic mold that grows on something from outside. Uh, either way, it doesn't really matter. Uh, that's what I did. I, I soaked it in some bleach for a little bit. Um, the baking process is was more commonly used um, for existing live rock uh, as a process to kill everything off. Um Bleaching pretty much takes care of that now, when I bleach my rock, I use the baking process to dry the rock out afterwards um This is a step that you can either take or you cannot take uh, it's kind of up to you. Um, I think I might have been going a little bit far by doing it. However, it made me comfortable, and I knew I wasn't going to destroy the rock any more than I already had. So, um, bleaching it was, you know, it was enough as it was. Okay. That being said, the, what what you really need to do after you bleach the rock, whether you bake it or not, the key thing that you need to do is take it back, get it in your Rubbermaid container or in your uh, in some five gallon buckets with regular plain fresh water, some distilled water, not salt water. Um, and let the rock sit in there with a power head with some dechlorinator something like prime or something that's normally used to uh, dechlorinate and condition tap water this this is what this will do is it'll call it'll pull out any of the bleach or the specifically chlorine that's left in and on the rock. Um, what I had done with mine and what I'd probably recommend is to uh, put it in this this fresh water with dechlorinator bath for about. 10 20 minutes. Um pull it out, rinse it all off good with tap water or whatever. Rinse it all off. Um and then repeat the process a few times. Um probably, you know, when I did mine, I did mine. I think I did mine two or three times. I gave it like 10 minute baths for you know, two or three times. So that's really about it. Um the thing to keep in mind as well, bleach and or, you know, which is essentially chlorine, um or chlorine is essentially bleach, whatever it is, they're pretty much the same thing. Uh, Well, you definitely don't want lots of that in your tank. Very small, minute trace amounts, especially in a new tank that you're setting up, isn't going to cause a major downfall. It's not going to be completely detrimental. There's many people that uh, literally will run their tanks with with tap water, you know, so without dechlorinating it. Uh, Not that it's a good thing to do, but the point that I want to drive home is when you're setting up your initial tank, Um, going through this process and going through uh, the dechlorination that I just mentioned should be more than sufficient to make sure that the rock is safe to put in your tank. So uh, that being said, let's move on to the rest of your questions.
2: Uh, Second thing I wanted to mention or ask or comment on was, is due to some space constraints, a lot of us, uh, people that I'm associated with in the hobby in my area and friends, are into the smaller, what I guess they call, refer to as nano-reef-type tanks. And we were all wondering why and if you could do some more episodes directly related to nano-reef-type systems. Um, I know there's, uh, you know, dedicated forums out there like NanoReef.com. reefcom um, It seems to be a big trend. Um, so we just really would love to see some more of that. Uh, we know you can't devote all your time to it, and certainly most of the stuff you've talked about up to this point relates all to the same All thing
0: right, anyway. well, I'm going to go ahead and cut off the tail end of that as uh, there was some personal information in there. So that's why it sounded like it was cut off a little prematurely in there. So anyways, um, the question that was you know, brought up here really is, a, is about the Talking Reef podcast doing more shows specifically targeted towards nano reefs for smaller reef tanks. Now – the the background information there is uh we have done a few shows on on nanotanks and we've had some videos and stuff like that about nanotanks but uh i don't have one <laughs> you know that's really the largest reason why there's not more shows targeted at uh, nano reefs uh i don't have one uh, i'm not uh considered you know i wouldn't consider myself enough of an expert that being said, there's a lot of, a lot of the main concepts that I talk about in the shows are are, are applied to big tanks, small tanks or whatever, uh, but you've already mentioned that and probably already aware of that. so uh, that being said, uh, you know hopefully in the future I'll be able to set up a, a smaller tank and uh, that'll put me in a position where I'll be able to talk about it a little bit more uh, in the meantime, uh, if there's a, a nanotank expert out there and you want to come on and tell us all about nanotanks. Uh, and how specifically how they differ from larger tanks? Uh, then uh, please uh, let me know. Reply to this uh, the post thread for this episode, or uh, feel free to email me or call me directly uh, through the Skype line details at the end of the show. Okay, one other thing that I wanted to throw in here. Uh, this is a question that I saw come up a. Uh, a few times over the last couple of weeks in the talking reforms, I'm going to keep this one kind of short as it really does relate to the last question that we just asked. Uh, and that was a question about reusing live sand and or live rock that had come from other people's tanks. Um, now, I have mentioned in previous shows that I am a little bit paranoid when it comes to live rock uh, from other from other systems, uh, even systems that I may or may, you know, quote unquote, trust. Uh, as many of you are aware, I've went through many major problems with, with flatworms, and I've also went through problems with various types of algae and nuisance algaes and aptasia and, and various other things. Uh, hitchhikers can be a real problem, uh, especially if you don't know where the rock's coming from. Uh, so I have mentioned before that I usually try to you know bake off or, or specifically bleach the rocks um, before I use them. Now, this does have some complications towards their effectiveness, uh, in uh, starting up your tank cycle or, you know, using it to quote-unquote cycle your tank uh, and various other things. They're not effective for filtration at this point. They need to be cultured and they need to become quote-unquote live rock. Um, but uh, you can you can definitely do this. You just really want to be careful about uh, various hitchhikers. Now, some of the other things that came up relating to this was uh, some questions regarding using live sand, either directly out of a tank or live sand that had been sitting in, in buckets for extended periods of time. Uh, The specific question I I think that came up in the forums was uh, there was live sand that had been sitting in buckets for weeks and when open had an extremely foul uh, smell of like sulfur. This is actually very common uh, when you have live sand or actually anything from your tank enclosed in a small area with very limited volumes of water. Uh, It's going to happen. Rock's going to do that. Sand's going to do that. And that's really the decaying process of, of the stuff that was alive in there dying off and the bacteria are consuming that. Uh, and that sulfur smell is really a byproduct of, of that consumption. So uh, this is also you know, one of the reasons why we want to make sure that we stir our deep sand beds because that same decaying process leaves that same type of sulfur within our sand beds and uh, extreme levels of that sulfur, uh, as you can imagine, are not very good. So anyways, back to the topic at hand. Uh, when dealing with live sand in this manner, uh, really all you need to do is give it a good rinse, and, and you're going to be okay. Um, if you really don't trust it, you know, don't, don't use it. I mean, it's it's really that simple. Uh, but in most cases, you're going to be fine. A good rinse uh, with some with some water, uh, really anything—tap water, distilled water, whatever you have—rinse uh, it off real good. If you're really that concerned about it, you can dry it dry it out. Uh, depending on where you live and the type of yard you have, you can even take a tarp and lay it out over a tarp and let it sit in the sun for a while um, to dry it out. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can do. Uh, I know that the, the Agron, agronite sand can be rather hard to come by nowadays uh, uh, without paying a fortune for it. So if you happen to come across um, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100 pounds of the sand and you may not necessarily trust it, it's not something you really want to throw away and just rebuy. So... Um, that being said, you know, you, you can reuse it and if you're in a situation like this, just make sure you take a little bit of time to prepare it. Like, uh, you know, as mentioned, all right, well, that's pretty much going to wrap up the the show for this week. I got a couple community update things that I wanted to, uh, to mention before we get out of here. So hopefully you'll stick around for those. The first thing is, uh, as hopefully most of you have known, uh, because hopefully most of you frequent the TalkingReef.com website. Uh, we have redesigned the website. We've given it a new look and feel. There's a lot of quirks and bugs and problems and nuances with the old website. Well, not the old website, but with the website that existed, um, various problems with you know the way that you post and changing fonts and styles and stuff like that. Uh, we're also having problems with people actually posting it, it all uh, to the forums. Uh, those have all been resolved with the, the redesign of the site. Uh, so there should be no more issues related to anything like that. There was something that uh, just so everybody knows that the, there was a a very um, popular feature on the site called a pager. There was a uh, like a kind of like an instant messaging type feature. That feature has been removed. Um, first of all, from a technical aspect, it was. Not a very good product to be running in there. However, it was really the only one that I could find of its, of its kind, so I, I was kind of stuck with it. Um, but the main reason it was removed, other than the fact that it wasn't a very clean product, was the fact that there was some major security vulnerabilities found with that software. Uh, so for the protection of the Talking Reef site and all of its members, um, that product is no longer available uh, on our site. So I am working to find some type of instant messaging or um, private chat client that we can get in there. And I've got a couple things. However, uh, it's going to be a little bit before I can get the the time dedicated to getting those integrated with our site. The last thing that I really wanted to mention for everybody uh, is that the, the, the show should be Coming back out on a regular basis, I do have specifically one video lined up um, with a couple other, you know, that's in the near future, a couple other in the distant future that I'm I'm planning, uh, and I've got about five or six audio-based podcasts that are already um, lined up, topics are down, and uh, I'm just going to have to go through and get some recording done. So uh, we definitely have um, many more weeks of, of good content coming your way i uh, got a couple interviews that we're going to be working on also uh, in the future. So make sure you stay subscribed to the feed, the podcast feed, and you keep checking the website. Um, I thank you for holding out through the, the hi- hiatus of this last summer, uh, the, the you know last three months. Uh, we didn't put out much for, for podcast endpoint, but uh, we should be able to get things picked back up and uh, move on from there. So that's going to wrap up the show for this week. Uh, hopefully we'll talk to you all next week with a follow-up show. Uh, And if uh, any of you want to call in and leave any questions, comments, or introductions, uh, make sure you call into the voicemail line. The phone number is area code 586-486-3357, or you can call using Skype. Screen name is Talking Reef. That's going to wrap it up for this week. I will talk to you all next time.